This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm G Sampath, the Hindu's social affairs editor and your host for this episode. The COVID-19 crisis continues to dominate our news coverage as it rightly should. And while we've been doing many episodes on the pandemic, a couple of deep dives into policy issues, which is a trademark of this podcast, got lost along the way. We recorded this podcast last month just after former RBI governor M Narasimham passed away. He was perhaps the most influential banker of post-independent India, and our aim was to understand his legacy. in the context of the current challenges facing the banking sector the reports prepared by the two committees that he chaired the narasimham committee on financial system 1991 and the narasimham committee on banking sector reforms 1998 are still the foundational documents for any discussion on banking sector reforms and banking policy he is also credited with paving the way for epochal moves such as bank mergers the emergence of new generation private sector banks and asset reconstruction companies but more than two decades after the two narasimham committees gave their reports and recommendations india's banking sector remains plagued by a host of problems from high npas to a complete disconnect from developmental priorities so what exactly has been the legacy of narasimham and the two committees that he chaired how will india's banking history view his role and contribution to india's banking sector to throw light on these questions we spoke with amol agrawal amol is an economic historian and teaches economics at ahmedabad university amol welcome to in focus hi thanks uh, thanks sampath for inviting me i'm really glad to be here great so i i want to start with uh, with the fundamental question uh, about uh, narasimham so despite being such a brilliant mind and uh, influential banker why was his stint as the rbi governor uh, so short i mean if i understand right it was just 7 months so can you throw some light on what was going on then and how did it end up that way yes uh, so in india typically all the rbi governor positions are uh, start with who is the finance minister and uh, whether uh, the finance minister is comfortable with the rbi governor in uh, whoever is the rbi governor so that's been one of the top talking points for a long time now and this was no different uh, so janta party comes to power in 1977 and uh, the finance minister hm patel does away with the then uh, rbi governor mr puri who was uh, appointed by indira gandhi they they had dr ig patel in mind hm patel uh, wanted dr ig patel uh, and also morarji desai who was the prime minister uh, prime minister so when hm spoke to ig and ig said he is away for some business for some uh, assignment and ig couldn't come, come away come right away they uh, they appointed m narsimham as as some sort of an interim governor and the rbi act does not have uh, any such uh, positions so you appoint such a person appoint such a person for for a short period of time till your main uh, rbi governor comes in 
so despite uh, mr narsimham being uh, being a very influential and, uh, and a very charismatic and a very knowledgeable person unfortunately his uh, tenure in rbi was just for 7 months so that was the period where ig was absent and as ig comes in december uh, narsimham has to give way to ig patel okay 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 so so what was indian banking like before uh, narasimham and his two uh, landmark reports and, and 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 why was he picked to chair the two committees uh, that did uh, uh, i mean that that he chaired when well, is it just a coincidence that the first committee coincided coincided you know with the opening up of india's economy that is 1991 no that's a that's a very interesting question i think mr narasimham's legacy becomes even more important uh after he has passed away as we are reading several tributes and uh, obituaries and so on and so forth of the man and as i was writing my own uh, obituary uh, for mr narsimham i realized as a history, history person i went back to the rbi history well that his name features in all the three of the four volumes of rbi so rbi has three four history volumes as of now 1935 to 51 51 to 67 67 to 81 and 81 to 97 of these four uh, the the last three uh, from 51 to 91 51 to 97 uh, the three volumes covering that period you you will see a uh, mention of m narsimham playing a critical role in all those three volumes now that's 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 really incredible because there is no other person who really is mentioned Uh, across these three volumes uh, you've had some very influential rbi governors you had some very important personalities finance ministers uh, but there is hardly anybody like m narsimham so uh, and as you grapple through those uh, vo- uh, rbi volumes you realize the roles he's played uh, in several aspects as a banking secretary for the government his role in imf funds which came in 1981 uh his role in the 1976 uh, rural, regional rural banks committee as a chairperson so he's pretty much uh, handled all the interesting uh, works one can imagine as a monetary policy person and a banking person it was quite interesting that his one of the earlier research papers in 1960 uh, continued to be sort of sort of a reference point for the indian monetary policy for multiple scholars though i have not seen the paper yet but as i was doing my own research it was quite stunning so when you come back to 1991 and uh, when manmohan singh and narsimha rao decide to open up the indian economy there the, the reforms were around areas one was industrial sector second was trade and uh, third third was financial sector because uh, manmohan singh both as rbi he was former rbi governor and has worked he understood that financial sector is very important uh, to in order to take the reforms of both the trade sector and the industrial sector forward and uh, in this regard uh, there was no better person than m narsimham he was a friend of uh, manmohan singh and so it was not really a yes uh, in the sense that uh, it was the decision to really reform the economy which came first followed by all these uh, changes which were done and several committees were set up and m narsimham ended up being the chair of the most influential committee as we know is the 1991 financial sector reforms so and what whatever as you rightly said whatever in that report or whatever others wrote in that report continues to be influential till till today
Okay, so uh, let's 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 come now to the actual uh, uh, reports themselves. Like, so what what were the mandates of these two committees, the Committee on Financial Sector Reforms and the Committee on Banking Sector Reforms uh, that he chaired, and and what were the crux of his uh, recommendations? Yeah, so uh, you know, the first committee was on uh, was a much broader one, and uh, not, the mandate was to look at financial sector as a whole. The second committee focused on the banking sector. So the in the first committee, obviously Narsimha, and this is also a period where uh, Narsimha Rao is unsure of the reforms himself. And this this great book by Vinay Sethapati explains the whole political economy under which uh, Narsimha Rao is is functioning. So uh, it's only when you when you read all these things. you realize that oh this report was written during a very interesting time that even if you had to make way for the future in terms of reforms you had to go back to whatever was achieved earlier uh, so that committee is written very carefully not to and this committee was appointed by the finance both these committees were appointed by the finance ministry not the rbi so uh, the idea was that okay we made we've made a lot of progress in nationalization I mean, our branches have opened all around rural banking agriculture because you didn't want to upset the uh, the congress uh, old guard saying that okay we have uh, that we have gone so far and uh, and not really acknowledge what was done earlier so it was it was a very balancing act and you've got to read it read it in that sort of a thing so then you go on to make all these suggestions acknowledging what has happened in the past so it was a very fine uh, balancing act done by narsimham committee and then you go you went on to explain uh, that how the indian financial sector uh, needs to open up uh, so you need to bring in more new private banks uh, the the public sector uh, role of banking has to uh, be limited uh, and uh, he had, he had also suggested that at that time uh, sebi was not really a sebi was simply a body which had opened Uh, which had which had been established to look at capital markets and that committee also suggested that sebi should be given uh, you know appointed formally and given a given regulatory powers to look at capital markets and uh, this was obviously just before the arshad mehta scam also coming in and you got a very interesting web series and a movie which has come out which tells us a few things about these things so so lots of things are happening during this period and what is very interesting is that they envisaged a four tier structure the first committee uh, that you you need to have four kind of banks in india so three or four should be large global level uh, universal banks followed by uh, smaller private banks pan india third layer would be of local banks which which are going to be more regional in thing and fourth would be rural banks so that four tiered structure that was a very interesting uh, suggestion and then the government started implementing those suggestions so i, I come down to 1998 1998 report was uh, was uh, seen as mainly to do with banking uh, but the report also reviewed whatever was suggested in 1991 so it's a good summary if anybody wants to understand uh, what was because 1991 report is a very uh, voluminous report and so 1990 1998 is a good summary of the kind of changes they had suggested and what was implemented and obviously even though the 1998 report was not very happy with whatever has happened in 91 they basically agree that broadly most of the suggestions are suggestions have been implemented uh, and uh, parallelly in the 1998 report they had also suggested that the dfi should be uh, made converted into banks so that was 
uh, a major sorry uh, what is this uh, dfi can you please sorry uh, development financial on? institutions uh, thanks uh, so development financial institutions idbi icici okay so all okay. the all of them which were con- which today's generation you know does not really remember that remember them as development financial institution so they were all converted into banks later so this was again coming based on the suggestion from the 1998 report so so these two reports uh, pretty much summarize much to grapple with and obviously some of those very important suggestions made in 1991 were not really carried forward and as a result we continue to see some problems uh, so there's a long list of reforms which were implemented uh, but let me quickly in the interest of time look at some of those reforms which are not implemented which are perhaps more crucial going today so one suggestion was obviously the governance of public sector banks uh, where this was uh, obviously well known that the public sector banks are dual regulated uh, the center plays a larger role and rbi is playing uh, uh, more of a shadow role in uh, governing governance of public sector banks and regulating public sector banks because the nationalization act which came in 1969 and in 1980 the two nationalizations gave the powers shifted the powers from rbi to to the government uh, and uh, this in 1991 uh, and even till 1998 the share of public sector banks was still about 75-80%. So it was important that... Uh, the share a, of public sector banks in what exactly? In the overall overall uh, lending and overall banking. Lending, okay. okay. So it was about uh, still 75-80%. It was a very large thing. And if 75-80% lending uh, is being done by an entity and that is not regulated by the central bank, it really uh, speaks volumes about what was really being regulated. and uh, it's not very surprising that from 70s to 80s indian banking uh, performance the sector uh, the public sector's banks performance really deteriorates sharply uh, the return on assets is almost close to zero negative in some banks very not very different from what we are seeing today so so seeing this uh, they had recommended that uh, the government should uh, do away with regulation regulating of public sector banks and uh, allow the rbi to to be the sole in charge of which required changes in the in the nationalization act and so on and so forth which meant that they had to be first converted into a company and uh, so this recommendation obviously urjit patel and some others in recent times have pointed out and viral acharya in his book and urjit in his book have pointed out that how the uh, recommend this particular idea which came in 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 this uh, report uh, in this report it was not really implemented so so as a result the government's uh, hold on banking remains uh, re- continues to remain and we've seen how public sector banks have very high npas the number of frauds which have been there so some of these things should should not really be there in a public sector bank but they have all come because of several go- governance issues uh, which have which have been there which were understood by the narsimham committee though the 98 committee points out that it has been accepted but that is like a weak Uh, thing but nothing was nothing major was done there you just came up with some very piecemeal things to sh- make it look like reform but it was not really reform uh, and then as i said in the last question that capital markets began to open up so one major suggestion was that gradually your capital uh, your bank should start uh, doing ipos uh, uh, the public offers and as a result that also begins to happen so if all of us are trading on all these bank stocks and today rbi makes it if it's giving a new license it says that within 3 year if 3 or 4 years you got to list so all these are based on 
some of these suggestions made by made by the Narsimham committee in 91 and 98 as i said was not really 98 was more like a add on to the 91 it reviewed what whatever was done in 91 and as far as df conversion that is all been done so okay well, at least on the on this universal banking question i mean isn't wasn't uh, narasimham uh, absolutely wrong because india needed uh, developmental financial institutions to do development finance and you can't expect a, a, a one bank to do both retail lending and development finance and uh, corporate finance and all those kinds of things so just your uh, your your point about development financial institutions being converted into a commercial bank i think that uh, suggestion uh, does not really make sense uh, uh, why did you allow that knowing that we really don't have a, i mean either uh, that suggestion should have been sequenced so the 91 reforms uh, do talk about sequencing very well the 98 maybe they should have said that the you should do away with development financial institutions only when your corporate bond develops because what has really happened is that a corporate bond market doesn't develop and uh, you convert your dfi development financial institutions into banks uh, so as a result this long term lending to infrastructure and you know all that development uh, there is there is no there is no institution and uh, then it comes right. to the public sector banks and the public sector banks are you know under serious stress because of uh, all these loans coming to them so you have you've created multiple level of problems right so what was the narasimham committees what was narasimham solution to this problem of long term credit for infrastructure projects and development projects like if you don't if you if you want if you're going to have universal banking so where is this long term credit going to come from if it's not going to come from commercial banks where is it going to come from i think the broadly i if i whatever i recall i could be wrong here but uh, i think they were broadly silent and they were assuming that this capital markets kind of a thing is going to develop uh, but uh, that uh, never really uh, took off in several in and there is a whole rh patel committee report and several others in fact that's a burning question which uh, a lot of us have all the time that why is it that india's corporate bond market didn't develop uh, despite so much talk and uh, discussions around it so what what was narasimham's thinking uh, about the npa problem and like what was his uh, is his thought what was his solution he must have really applied his mind on this issue which is which is really balloon out of proportion in the years you know after he, he sort of moved out of active involvement in these uh, in these in these committees and so on yeah so what is interesting is till 1991 uh, till that committee yeah. we didn't really have a Uh, we didn't have any thinking about npas i mean there was nothing like an npa and so on and so forth it's only 1991 where all these categories of substandard assets and npa category etc etc these four definitions which we have uh, for determining whether something slips into an np or not uh, that started uh, so the bigger problem really in uh, in 1991 is that what is the state of npas and nobody really had an answer to that so one of the micro suggestions of this committee was that you need to really you know work on reporting uh, accounts and reporting these matters and standardization of all of them and once this information begins to come in to the rbi then you and the banks uh, then you uh, you know start to classify the npa problem early in that whole 1990s your npas were very high because uh, for the first time you started you know recording them and it's not very different from what Uh, raghuram rajan as rbi governor tried to do where he was not very happy with the way npas were uh, being registered and he imposed asset quality reviews and took the uh, took and uh, the final npa numbers if 
whether one agrees to rajan or not but the 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 thing is that it the, those numbers are became suddenly much higher from how we understood npas till 2014 so the main thing with any npa npa problem whenever, whenever it rises is that firstly you got to record it correctly and then you begin to you try and you know recover some of those npas back and obviously one major suge- suggestion which came out is is this whole asset reconstruction uh uh bad bank or whatever we might call it today that sort of a suggestion also came out from the narsimham committee report there was that uh you know some of these npas could be sold to the bad bank or the asset reconstruction companies who are going to be expert or a specialized entity dealing with bad loans and bad assets but again uh our asset reconstruction companies rbi has recently come up with a paper on in the rbi bulletin has been a very mixed one and again the government is trying to come up with another government promoted asset reconstruction company but we've not heard anything about that since the budget so this npa problem basically came in because of the fact that rbi was not really allowed to regulate and govern banks problems which narsimha had addressed then became more acute uh in the uh, 2004 to 14 kind of a period where phone banking not so much 2004 but basically 2008 2009 So obviously, this uh, that who is the who is going to run those public sector banks, uh, the the nomination of the board, uh, the appointment of the chairperson, all of that I think begins to be compromised. It was very easy for finance minister to call and give up uh, disbursed loans to select industries, and as a result, you saw all those problems uh, plaguing us much later. So this is uh, if some of those suggestions of Narsimham committee to. Uh, that the government does away with its role in public sector banks had done away with i mean that was accepted and implemented in full spirit then some of these problems of npa which we are seeing today in public sector banks would have been uh, limited because then rbi would have because whatever rbi saw as irregularities and reported to ministry of finance were basically ignored uh, so amul finally uh, coming to my last question for you today it's been said very often that uh, India's banking sector was largely insulated from the 2008 financial crisis uh, due to our prudent policies. So, uh, would, would you do you think that would still be the case uh, if a similar crisis were to occur now? And uh, and in in this context, uh, how do we understand? I mean, if you if you were to summarize in overall, you know, give a, a, a sort of a concluding comments on the legacy of the Narasimham committees and and this particular individual. Uh, Uh, with regard to the history of indian banking and the financial sector how would you summarize it obviously the 2008 crisis uh, the nature of it was very different and uh, the reason why it didn't really impact indian banking is because uh, most of our banking assets or liabilities are not really dependent on not as dollarized or as internationalized as it is it is the case in other economies so typically economies where the uh global financial crisis impacted outside of us were uh those which were which either had presence of us banks or were dependent on us uh policy for for liquidity and so on and so forth but none of that really applied to india so it's not very surprising on hindsight that we escaped uh broadly the impact of the financial crisis was there on trade flows was there on confidence but not as much on banking barring uh you know one of those off cases with icici bank and that's that's another thing with banking that uh, very quickly people say that okay if this can happen in united in united states with the largest banks why can't it 
why can't it happen to india and obviously the story was that whichever was the fastest growing or the bank where in india which could be in trouble and as a result initially there were some concerns with icici bank which had grown really fast but uh, those concerns were very quickly stymied by by the central bank so but then uh, uh, as we were rejoicing uh, that the global financial crisis has broadly escaped indian shores uh, we ended up creating our own crisis and that is because of whatever we discussed in the show thanks to the great questions is basically that we've not really worked on some of those suggestions uh, by narsimham uh, committee to uh, continue to capitalize banks to continue to i think the main thing really is the governance bit which was obviously one of the major concerns as far as the 2008 crisis with globally was concerned you realize that the marquee banks like lehman city etc etc had really uh, fallen short as far as governance is concerned and something similar has happened in india uh, where you realize that because you are not paying attention to to these conflicts of uh, dual regulation and uh, basically uh, allowing government to do whatever it wants to do with public sector banks so you know so even if we escape the global financial crisis we created our own and i think that's a very uh, sobering story by itself and it's uh, it's a story which tells us that we were perhaps very overconfident about some of the achievements we made just really i mean some of those reasons of the 2008 crisis uh, now if us was was a smaller or a closed economy it did not really create the kind of impact that financial crisis in us would have remained a united states kind of a crisis but it became a global crisis because of the overall interconnections with us financial system and so on and so forth but uh, when you look at the reasons uh, why the financial crisis started in united states when you look at india's own banking crisis some of those reasons are very similar and that i think is very uh, both uh, sobering and at the same time it tells you how history is not just i mean there are some local things yes uh, but it also financial history also plays out globally very similarly and typically all these governance all these banking crises or financial crises are around under capitalization and poor governance and uh, it's a combination of both which are which, which were at work in both these places so, so obviously uh, the narsimham committee is a is a benchmark but this was 30 years ago uh, narsimham committee is aware of the computerization and digitization and all that which is not digitization as much as computerization that time it was a big deal we even think of the fact that uh, you would have atms and stuff like that and and some of those suggestions are there in, in the committee and 30 years to, uh, later the world of banking has changed significantly in fact uh, you could see another crisis in worldwide and even in india coming from fintechs coming from uh, all these uh, new models which have emerged because you are again seeing a surge of such models coming in uh, such uh, banks coming in which are completely Uh, based on technology and we've seen that uh, every time you have such a mania such a rush to to do similar uh, kinds of businesses there is obviously these excesses and they they pan out and uh, we could see so so i would still think that the committee has some very interesting suggestions and uh, that's a very classic report which uh, which is timeless in in several dimensions but at the same time technology and some other things have changed significantly so let's say the indian government sets up another commission though we've had too many but uh, so that new commission will have to revisit narsimham committee's lessons in today's context in seeing the, the world of technology seeing the world uh, of 
uh, all this digitalization where big techs, uh, fintechs and banks are coming together and trying to ride on this digital banking wave and where that will take us and the kind of risks that is going to create. So, yes, it will still lead to problems of undercapitalization, poor governance, but you know, this whole element of technology and blind uh, spots it's creating, uh, we should really work on them right away before it becomes something big. Great. That's a very interesting uh, point, Amol. I mean, especially you know, when we when we think of uh, the Narasimham Committee uh, uh, report and its recommendations, we generally tend to focus on on on, on the recommendations around uh, core banking sector reforms. And, and 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 one of the questions which we wanted to look at in this podcast was how how is it still uh, resonating with today's con- concerns? You know. And it's very, uh, it's very significant that you brought this point up here, where we are talking about uh, fintech and digital banking and, and and the role of technology in banking and and how these aspects could lead to certain blind spots, which will again go back uh, to the issues which are which were flagged by Narasimhan, such as you know governance, uh, corporate governance, and uh, undercapitalization and so on. So I guess uh, ultimately it comes down to the question of uh, of this whole issue of governance and. The, the history of dual governance we've had of, with RBI on the one hand and the central government on the other and how over the years and even today especially uh, it's the union government which seems to be playing a predominant role which of course has its uh, costs uh, in terms of uh, banking regulation happening the way it should. So I suppose uh, we will keep going back to Narasimham's contributions and the, and the reports these committees have come out with you know as we go as we move forward and uh, try and modernize not just the banking uh, facilities and, and the banking services, but also the banking uh, governance aspect as well. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts on this, Amol. Thank you for joining us. My, my absolute my pleasure. Thank you so much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.